It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast, another edition in which we talk about the Washington Wizards blowing a game to a team with a losing record. This is not a repeat. I was going to say, this is podcast 12, <laughs> 16, 18, 24. Ugh. Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a, yeah, this is not, I, I, we should go back and count how many times uh, we have done this one, particularly uh, Todd Dibus with the Washington Times, Ben Standing here with uh <laughs> NBC Sports Washington, among other places. Uh, in in your dreams. Yes. Yeah, in your dreams. Well, this one is a nightmare, Todd, because the Wizards did it again. Look, we'll, 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 we're going to go through the game in a minute. We'll go through the key points to it. But, but let's just start with this. So they lose 107-104. Uh, yes, they got it back late to take a, a lead, but then they gave up some, uh, some big shots to Utah late. Yes, they had opportunities to... Hit, hit the game-winning shot. Bradley Beal had the ball in his hands with a chance to tie the game, and instead of putting up the potentially tying three, he traveled, basically. He turned it over uh, with with a, a second to go, and they lose. But l- let's go back to this bigger picture part of this. We've talked a hundred times about like, what is it about this team that they keep looking losing to, uh, to, to, to these teams they should beat. And by the way, this wasn't just a regular run-of-the-mill under 500 team. This is a team that beat them by not one, not two, not three, but 47 points last month on the on the whiteboard in the Wizards locker room pregame. Somebody wrote a big 47 up on there. It was pretty clear. Somebody, at least one person, if, and they knew what was happening, and they all saw it. Scott Brooks said pregame that they were all embarrassed by the last one, in essence inferring shouldn't happen again. But it did. And I want to discuss, like, why does this keep happening in, in this sense? And we should uh, quickly mention that this is not just a sub-500 team that oh, right. stomped them by 47 points. It was a sub-500 team that stomped them that was missing two of its best players, if not its two best players, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. And John Wall didn't play in the last game. Right. So the Wizards get their yes. best player, in essence, back, and they lose the guy who makes them go and Gobert, plus their other starting forward in, in, right. in Favors. Right. And it's here. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the game is in Washington. Another excellent point you're making. So we were just a few of us were just talking in the Wizards media room after we all did our some work, and we're talking about this the local teams in this town and what it is, how how we keep going down these paths with all these teams, these predictable paths. Sorry, Caps and Nats fans, you know what I'm saying. Redskins fans, it's slightly different predictable thing, but something's going to go wrong, and it does. And you can almost mark it with the calendar in advance. Okay, on this date, this time, game seven, whatever they're going to lose. In the May case, 15th, perhaps. Yeah, May 15th, yeah. In the case of the Caps and Nats, there's just some weird mojo that's going on that every every time they get in these big spots, they just blow it. Whatever you want to say. In their head, just the, the curse, I don't know, whatever you want to say. The Redskins, it's largely, I would say, organizational dysfunction, but nonetheless, it's been now, you know, two decades of this. What's so frustrating to me about the Wizards is that of all the local teams, I think they are actually the ones who have the guts to get the job done. They actually show up for the big games. Uh, They're not, they don't, maybe I'm wrong, I don't remember any of their games 
in these playoff runs, at least not the the end of the game run, the, the uh, game five, six, or seven, where you're like, boy, they just didn't show up. Right. That, that, I mean, look, I mean, John Wall missed a bunch of shots in game seven. I get that. Defensively, they let Kelly Olynyk do stuff. I get that. And other things happened in the other series. But, like, they were right there. They played hard. They almost won. Nobody said, boy, they stunk. Whereas Nats, Caps, Redskins, sometimes you're just like, oh, Lord, what's happening here? That's what's so frustrating. They have the goods to get this done, and yet they completely don't understand what it takes to win. You can't come out flat because you come out flat against Utah, you're going to come out flat in one of those games of those playoff series. Or not flat, I'm sorry. If you come out without complete focus, the other team at some point is going to get you. <laughs> and, and they just don't understand that. And that, for me, is what is so frustrating watching this team uh, continue to do this. Yeah, you said you that they have the goods, which is a, a, a general sentiment I agree with. But as I heard you explaining all those things, which I also predominantly agree with, what popped in my question is that, or popped in my head is the question then, do they actually have the goods? If we're gonna, see, if we see them doing this, is this the is this the right ensemble? It sure, you know, I'm always babbling about advanced numbers this and net rating that and blah blah blah. There's a lot of undercurrent that suggests that their record should be better, that they're one of the decent teams in the league, perhaps a top eight, probably maximum top six team in the league, and then. There's the reality of their record and the reality of the eye test and the reality of these head-scratching losses, the reality of not being good at the end of games when you have a group that has been together for some time. Why are you not executing at that point? Offensively and defensively, we should mention that they're, they're making mistakes. So it's, it's, a, it's a strange combination this year. And one of the things we were also talking about in the workroom was when was the last time the Wizards were on pace for 46 wins and it felt like such underachievement was occurring? This is not the narrative of this organization uh, throughout the 80s and 90s and earlier yeah. in the aughts well, uh, up to now. Like I made a point early on in, these, in this season of the podcast in which I said, I'm sure I said this with you, everything I'm saying, I'm not looking about, well, this is what they have to do in game one, game 10, game 50. Like even in this conversation you and I are having right now, in essence, we both have written about what do the Wizards need to do. I wrote about Sat- that Sadoransky is key because in the playoffs, when you shrink the rotation, it's uh, you, you know, do they have do, do they need to get another guy or can he fill in those minutes? You taking the same topic wrote they need to get somebody for the regular season because it'll help shave off Bradley Beal's minutes and help them with the seed. I think both points are right. You're probably Scott Brooks would take your point better because you're looking for the moment. But I'm looking at it like this is the first Wizards team that has actually had real expectations. We know they think it. They've said it a thousand times themselves. Real expectations. And I do think there's a point to some degree that the window is not that long. Even though Beal and Wall and Otto and Oubre are young players, mm-hmm. you look around the whole East and you look at the Wizards' salary cap situation and – you come to realize, look, they other teams may be passing them soon, and we don't know when LeBron's ever going to fade. Yada yada yada. Or Boston's already ahead of them, and they have eight thousand more assets working with them. So this feels like the window or for the who, Wizards. Or even like you mentioned earlier today, if somehow Miami ends up with Boogie or something wild happens, and you get some, a player you didn't expect to be in the conference sucked into a team that was halfway decent, and then all of a sudden, boom, they get to add something like that. Obviously, with Whiteside, that's not happening. But just in general in general terms, 
speaking, if, if something like that pops, then where are they too? Um, yeah. So I, so yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, do they have the right team? I, I, I guess my only thing is like, I, I, like the issue I have, I don't have an issue with John Wall or Beal or any of them for the most, as far as I can think in terms of if the, if it's game, whatever, the big game, are they going to, I was going to use a certain phrase. Are they going to have the guts to show up and do what they need to do? They're going to have the Morrises to show up. Yes, the more exact, exact. Done. That is exactly where I was going. I, but I'm not worrying about that. They haven't given me any reason to be concerned about that. Now they have given me reason to be concerned about. Do they understand what it takes to win? That is, and that they haven't continually showed. Just because you play a good brand of basketball doesn't mean. Well, just because you play, you make shots doesn't always mean you know how to win. And when you do what they're doing here, I mean, by the way, can I just go back up? I, I, I've said on this the last couple of days, I, I'll be surprised if they lose this game. But somewhere in the last 24 hours, I thought, oh, well, you know what? I probably said the same thing the second time they faced Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. They lost that game after having lost in the first game. They were down by 40. Yeah, it was worse, yeah. So, so the idea that these guys understand what revenge means, let alone what it means. Like, okay, fine. We had a bad game. Let's put that aside. Let's go. No. And that, to me, is what's so frustrating. So, you know, I, we're, we don't need to go down this whole path of how important these games are. Clearly, it's important for seeding. By the way, I think Miami won today, which means the Wizards are actually in second place in the division and fifth in the standings. Miami has jumped them. There's something right there. But, again, if you don't figure out how to play hard, you can lose the game. But you got to play smart and hard. They did not play hard for a chunk of this game, 23 turnovers. Brooks complained post-game about defensive lapses, which we'll get into in a second. Um, uh, they, I mean, they shot 53% from the field and lost. And most of the night they were shooting like 58%. Yeah. And lost. Yeah, I, it, it's been strange that they haven't bottled Christmas Day. Like, that was the team that everybody thinks these guys can be, right? Execution-wise, savvy-wise, handling things properly down the stretch. In Boston, they did that. But yet, here we are again talking about some nonsense like this. So well, it is it is a strange situation, especially when you look at the lead, leadership situation and wonder what is going on in that department. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, 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 it's tough. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, <laughs> people always want to, you know, bash Ernie Grunfeld for everything that goes wrong here right or wrong. Um, I always think that like people often pick the transactional things and don't always get those right as to what was right or wrong. If you look at the history of this team though, the things that he has gotten wrong, in my opinion, are the sort of letting the players get out of hand and not putting a foot down. The Gilbert Arena, Eddie Jordan stuff was well documented that they tried at some points to the coaching staff to get Gilbert Arenas in line the training staff too. That the, the Gilbert Arenas is like training. He's, he's recovering from his knee off campus. Uh, it, it seemingly only did more damage to it. Um, you know <laughs> that things ultimately led to the whole guns in the locker room thing. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not blaming Grunfeld for that. I'm just saying there's been a history here of the the star players kind of being allowed to get away with certain behaviors. I'm not saying anybody on this team is like that. Like Gilbert Arenas, that guy was a whole level of crazy. But at some point, somebody has to say to when John Wall tonight says, "This has been going on for several years." And four or five years. Four or five years, and you look years, at the yeah. roster, and you're like, "Well, who has been here for four or five years in a leadership role?" Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, 
you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a conversation they've had. Maybe Brooks and Grunfeld or whomever have said to them, hey, look, you guys can't keep doing X. I, I don't know. But that, to me, is the, is the question. Are, are they going to ever figure out what it actually takes to win basketball games, not just make shots, not just make the fancy play? Tonight was another example where I'm like, eh. I don't know. I, I will say I'm proud. I have yet to commit to them being fully turned around. So now we're definitely off that train. Yeah, we both, I think, held our ground on that. Jumping that fence. <laughs> All right, let, let's get into a little bit of the game here on the uh, Locked on Wizards podcast. Ben standing here with uh, Todd Divers from the Washington Times. Um, they get off to a good start. They're up 12 in the first quarter, and they're up – but, but it was only up four at halftime. Third quarter, they got scored 37-27. It was funny. Rodney Hood gets tossed with his second ejection. At that point, the Wizards are up one. I think when Beal makes the technical free throw, they're up one. The, but at that point, Utah had already started a little bit of a comeback, and, the, and they, went, they scored the next nine points, kept the Wizards at bay. The Wizards make it, do make a comeback late. Wall hit a couple threes. Ubre hit a three. The, 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 the one-point lead switches sides. And Joe Ingles hits a three. I was at that point feverishly writing my story for the Associated Press. You were paying more attention to what exactly happened in the moment, but it was something that Scott Brooks paid paid attention to or made a comment about post game, having to do with uh, how Ingles uh, got open. Yeah. So two things. Let's bookend this. First, we'll go back to the first quarter when they scored thirty two points. They started the game three for three from three. All three of those were trail threes. Brooks, the last two days in practice, has emphasized. He needs the wings to run a lot more with John Wall because that's going to create open threes for everybody. And we saw a specific instance of that early when Otto Porter ran the floor hard, dragged his defender through the lane with him, and Markeith was the trail. And he got a wide open three and made it. They scored 32 points in the quarter. Everything was looking how you would think that Brooks wanted it to look based on what he's been harping on the past two days in practice and then, again, mentioned early, uh, mentioned pregame today. And then the second quarter, they scored 18 points because they basically stopped doing that. So that was a real good glimpse, the first quarter, of what that could look like, playing with more pace and having more threes and a variety of open shots, and they were really rolling offensively, and then they just went away with that. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Um, In regard to Ingles late, he beat Kelly Oubre on a backdoor. There was no screen. He just straight backdoored him and then got an and one on it. And so there was three points. And then Oubre left Ingles at the three-point line. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was driving on Wall. Wall actually was doing a really good job one-on-one guarding Mitchell. And uh, despite that, Oubre left to scrape down and swipe at the ball as Mitchell drove into the lane. That sucked Oubre in. He kicked it out to Ingles. Ingles made his only three of the night. Scott Brooks just about blew the top of his head off. And uh, they, a lot of folks were mentioning those two detail-oriented lapses uh, after the game. In particular, Brooks, he brought it up, repeating the phrase, can't happen, uh, twice. And then some guys in the locker room also mentioning it. And when Oubre was asked about both plays, he, he was honest and gave a good answer about that he needs those both were his fault. He didn't make any excuses. He needs to do better in those instances, in those things, you know, and he was agreeing with everyone else that those things can't happen and those are the types of things that he needs to keep his focus on. He does. Um, 
So yeah, so so good points there. Well, the well, other thing was the Jody Meeks thing is the other thing I want to talk about in this game. Too. Well, and I was gonna say, you know, uh, I, you know, l- 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 the Wizards could have won, and I don't want to say it wasn't all. I mean, it was hardly all John Wall's fault. He, by the way, had thirty-five points, made fourteen to twenty-seven shots, had eleven assists. He also had eight turnovers. They had twenty-three. He had eight. Um, he he uh, actually coming into the game is tied for a career low in turnovers per game this season. He's only at 3.2. Last two years, he's been 4.1, 4.1. And only one other time has he been even close to 3.2, and that was like five years ago, I want to say, off the top of my head. So the turnovers, and the Wizards are sixth in the league in turnovers. They rarely turn the ball over. Right. But no, Less than 14 per game. It was a total... It was an outlier for him and an outlier for the team, and they yeah. just showed up at the same time. I think the fact that it happened in this particular game, like if they had 23 turnovers in the game against Milwaukee the other day, mm-hmm. I maybe we chalk it up to Giannis has you know eight arms and like <laughs> uh, you know whatever, uh, but th- to to do it in the game, and maybe I'm just putting too in much a bearless game. Yeah, I mean maybe I'm just putting too much emphasis on the the revenge aspect of it. You would just, I mean, again, they put up the 47 on the whiteboard in their locker room. I didn't, so clearly they were thinking about it. Um, uh, Bradley Beal, 23 points, but he only goes one of seven from the field in the fourth. I believe now over the last three games in the fourth quarter, one for 15. So, you know, again, he I mean, he had the ball in his hands in the last couple of seconds, couldn't get off a shot uh, to potentially tie the game. That, uh, wasn't, in, uh, what, that wasn't 100% his fault. Um, uh, not that you're portraying it that way, but just quickly. The, the inbounds pass, like, short-hopped him. Um I have to see it again. Brooks said he didn't know if it was deflected. Otto Porter's usually really good at making that pass, but he kind of like winged it over there, and that and the timing of the play was right until the pass was low and hit the ground. Beal picked it up, and Donovan Mitchell made a great recovery. Right. He would have shoved that shot right back in Beal's face, which is why Beal just kind of let it fall to the floor and see if someone could grab it and get a shot off. But yes, it was it was ugly. Um, and everything was right until until the pass was low. So I don't know if that was because Porter conceded, Porter it was deflected, or if he just made a poor pass. Ooh, it looks like it'd be a rough night for any Georgetown fan who's also a Wizards fan, because uh, or I should say the other way, because uh, former Georgetown recruit Tremont Waters with a big game for LSU. I've been just thinking about people I know who like both teams. It's going to mm-hmm. be a rough one for, for them. Uh, you, uh, oh, so Otto Porter, he came back. Yes. Great, 14 points. Though in a typical Otto Porter game, he had nine early. I think he had like nine points before I even like yeah the first quarter paying attention was, yeah, really, yeah. and then you know just doesn't get much. He had, what's it? He finished five of nine, and I want to say in the first quarter he was four for six. So to only get three more shot attempts the rest of the game, you know we can keep playing this game. But he got to do more. Do they have to get him the ball? We'll we'll, we'll deal with that some well, other day. Let's quickly. Go back to what I was saying before. 32 points in the first quarter, and how many shots did he have? He had six of his nine attempts. 18 points in the second quarter, and where did he go? Poof. Nowhere. So Second quarter, he didn't. He only played less than five, just under five minutes, zero shot attempts. So I, I feel like there's a direct correlation between his shot attempts and the ball movement, ball moving, and the pace being right. And when those things go away, his shot attempts are greatly reduced. All right, so there's other things we can discuss, but you mentioned Meeks. 0 for 4 in this game. You you wrote about uh, 0 for 4, by the way, in, in just under 17 minutes, uh, whereas Sadoransky only, yeah, played, 17 minutes, only played 6 minutes. I mean, because they were losing uh, 
the the bench lost their minutes and Wall played 42, Beal played 40. Um, that was the fewest amount of minutes for Sadoransky since November 21st, which was back in his DMP CD. Right. No, the it was the next. When he played zero that day. It was the next game when Wall was uh, went out and then he took over. Thanksgiving was my birthday this year, so I'm aware of the. I don't. Uh, have to, I don't have to look back too much for that date to know when Sadoransky jumped in. Um, but anyway, so Meeks goes 0 for 4, uh, all, all three-point attempts. We are we're now officially at the halfway point of the season, and boy, it really, other than like a moment or two here and there, he just has not gotten his his shot going. And, you know, you've talked about it before. It, it, okay, fine, he can shoot, but if he, his other stuff isn't good, if he's not making the shots, it's a problem. And that's why you wrote uh, in the Times this week that they got to fix that problem ASAP. You threw out some ideas, but what's your what, what's your particular take here on this one? Yeah, I just it was clear that they were making a distinct effort to get him going. Uh, we saw Brooks talking to him off on the side after practice Tuesday. I heard an assistant say some positive words to him today when he was warming up pregame. Um, one thing we always do see Jody Minks do is show up early and do all his work. There, I don't think there's any concern about him not doing that. And so, and even tonight, we saw Brooks stagger the rotation so that Meeks was on the floor with John Wall. He wanted to get him some wide open looks, and he had four open shots. He made none of them. So if that's going to happen, then they need to find an alternative. I mean, if you're putting him in the best case possible, best situation possible, and you're doing it at the expense of other regular rotation players who have played well, then you have to do something else there. That's just not, it's just not tenable, it's not feasible, it's not productive, it's not anything. Um, to go back to sort of tie into your point and to go back to one that I've been harping on, so in a game in which Kelly Oubre, uh, plus minus, minus 15, worse on the team, the head coach is clearly frustrated with what he's doing. Now, granted, some of that was at the very end of the game, so it's not like you could say it happened early in the fourth, but whatever. Maybe He was. actually took him out oddly earlier in, early in the fourth. And then, there was kind of a thing going on there and where he, he looked, replaced him very quickly. Because Otto Porter was at the table, I think, one possession into the fourth quarter, and Ubre's minutes were not at a place where it would suggest that he would come out, and Ubre didn't. Uri came out like 128-ish into the fourth quarter after starting it um, and was irritated near the bench. So I don't know if he – I don't want to do any conjecture of what Uri was irritated about. It could very well, it, as we know, he's competitive and is trying to be a, the best player he can be. So he could very well have been irritated with himself and nobody sure. else. So but, um, but, I don't want to suggest otherwise. But it was a strange uh, – Substitution at the time. But just to note in both cases, where Scott Brooks going? He, he Even if he wants to say, okay, look, I'd like to play small, but Ubre's babies isn't his night or whatever, well, where else is he going to go? There is, there, we, we, we talked about this repeatedly. There's literally not a third uh, small forward on the team. There's nobody else they can put out there for that small ball lineup if they want to go with. Right. I mean, it's the yeah, I mean, I guess only you could option put is Mike, is the three. I mean, I guess you could do hypothetically Mike Scott at the four with Marquise at the five, but defensively, that's not what Brooks is trying to go with. If he's you know whatever. And then in terms of Meeks, well, where are you going? If you if you're like okay, look at the lineup. I need a shooter on the court yes, in the backcourt. There is nobody else correct. to go with. So right. you know, which is why you need to fix it now. Right. There's so what, no reason to. There's absolutely no reason to wait, especially since one thing I didn't mention in my story and I should have. 
you set the market. Don't wait until someone overpays somewhere else, and then and then as the team with limited assets, you're not able to actually do anything productive. You're doing the sign a guy off the street, cross your fingers number, um, like last year with Brandon Jennings. Although I will say, I guess, uh, I, I, I'll go read the article, but you could probably guess some of the names he threw in there if you've listened to this podcast before, but... If you go try to get one of these guys, and we've mentioned Tyreek Evans the other day because he was just here. If I'm Memphis, I'm going to be like, well, great. It's January 10th, Wizards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we got three more weeks. Why am I giving you – fine, I get it. Maybe we ultimately have to settle for this second-round pick and right. stuff. They're, yeah, they're going to say first round. For, right, right. The first thing out of their mouth is going to be first-round pick. Right. But. And I would say I'm, I'm remaining on the camp. Of, I'm not giving up a first unless I'm Agreed. getting something that's more than a rental – uh, to come in here. So that would be the only thing there. But yeah, I mean, but I'm even just saying, uh, the, 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 I don't know, the, just go sign. I, I, and I don't have the list in front of me. There must be somebody out there. I keep bringing up RJ Hunter. I'm not saying he's the answer, but somebody, there has to One be. One of a... my followers was outraged that Monte Ellis is not on the team yet. Oh, God. No, no, <laughs> not him. But, 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 but there's somebody out there who can make a shot. I mean, this isn't that complicated. We're not saying somebody has to come in here and be the starter. Mm-hmm. Just saying if Meeks is not going to give you much in these 10 minutes can somebody can you find somebody else who can make a shot yeah so keep an eye on the g league showcase which is tomorrow or the next day it's probably thought, friday i thought it was the 10th to the 13th but i, I don't know this what... weekend i believe yeah. yes this weekend yeah so keep an keep an eye on what happens there because you could well we'll be hearing about someone who's getting signed out of there and it's going to end up on the back end of this roster all right so let's end it there thank you guys as always for listening you can, of course, find all the podcasts on iTunes or anywhere else you do your podcasting. Uh, I, I will do a, a little quick spoiler. I talked to uh, Sports Illustrated's Andrew Sharp during halftime. I will play that for you guys coming up shortly. I was going to play it here along with this conversation, but don't blame me. Things got out of hand with the game, so we needed to we needed to discuss. All right. Uh, thanks to Todd Dibus, and until next time, see you. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Long drive, long bounce shot. Dagger!